big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. Sort of. We're here to talk (laughs) about Jane Austen adjacent things today. Listeners, you're getting an episode on a Wednesday. You're getting an episode on on an off week. Uh, We are so excited to be joined today by Zachary Grady, who has created a podcast called Gay Pride and Prejudice, which is out now. And we are obsessed with it. Zachary, hello and welcome. Hello. I'm obsessed with both of you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my God. I'm geeking out. (laughs) You made my heart jump. (laughs) In this very special edition, listeners, you're going to learn a little bit about this fantastic podcast, Gay Pride and Prejudice, that is premiering this same day on Spotify by our illustrious guest, Zachary Grady. Zachary, hello. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am a writer-director. I have mostly been working in theater for, um, oh my God, like a decade now. Um, I've done everything from very traditional plays to these sort of large scale immersive productions, shows where everyone in the audience wears headphones and the whole show comes at you in an audio sense. Um, I've been getting into film. I had a short film run at a bunch of festivals two years ago, and now I am neck deep in audio fiction. And I have this show and a handful of other shows that are in development. So basically, I kind of run around all different mediums and just never stop writing all day, every day. That's amazing. That's the dream. You're (laughs) living my dream. (laughs) Well, we're going to start out, Zachary, by asking you like our classic questions that we ask all of our guests before we dive into Gay Pride and Prejudice. So first of all, what is your relationship to Jane Austen? Oh, my God. Um, It is long and storied. Um, I like I feel like other people on your show have said something similar to this. I in I think it was summer reading in fifth grade when we're like, I don't I think, are you like 10? Mm-hmm. Someone at my school put Sense and Sensibility on that summer reading list. And I, as a 10-year-old little gay boy, was like, that is the book I'm reading this summer. <laughs> and I got it and I read like a page and was truly had no idea what was being said. So I had this weird opinion about Jane Austen that it was like really difficult and really intellectual And then in high school and then again in college, I just found myself surrounded by people that loved Jane Austen. And my friends would have like heated discussions about like the 95 Pride and Prejudice or the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. And I was like, why are people having really, really heated arguments right now? (laughs) And I finally just in college was like, I need to dive in. I dove in. I read Pride and Prejudice first. 
I then was like, oh, this is the same thing of that Kate Winslet, Emma Thompson movie. So then I read Sense and Sensibility and it was a downward slope from there. Upward slope. And (laughs) I then, I mean, in college, I had the idea to adapt Pride and Prejudice. I've always wanted to. And I really committed about six or so years ago to doing it. So my, my relationship is, I love Jane Austen. I love all of her works. I, the scale is weighted very heavy to Pride and Prejudice because I've been through the process of getting to know her at her core. Um, and I hope to get to know the other ones as well. Oh, I love that answer. I'm still reeling over the idea of a sixth grader trying to read Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> it, I like feel so bad for him too because he was like so excited to to like be smart and be like, I'm going to read the hardest book on the list. And then there was really no one... I didn't tell anyone. I just like got sad and didn't read it. And there was no one that was like, no, it's it's too old for you. But then I found it again. So it was like bound to find it. But yeah. Don't worry. I had the same experience when I read Sound and the Fury, but except I was 22 years old. So <laughs> I had the same experience reading Jane Austen. I mean, and that's what this <laughs> podcast is about. So yes. Yes. We are all about making sure people understand that Jane Austen can sound and feel heady. But then when you actually get into it, it is, you know, <sighs> I'm trying to find a different um, adjective, but the only one coming to mind is the tits. So it's the tits. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yes. <laughs> so uh, next question is, what is your favorite piece of Austin content? I think you just answered this, but the question is very broad. So it can be one of her books or it can be an adaptation you really connected to, something inspired by it. Some have said clueless as an mm. option. <laughs> I mean, hello, it's the greatest. Um, <laughs> oh, I loved Curtis Settenfield's Eligible book. I thought it was so fun. It was Pride and Prejudice, but set, I think, in, like, I want to say, like, Cleveland. Oh, cool. Cleveland or Cincinnati. I don't know. It it just was so, it was so, like, Kitty and Lydia were these, like, girls that never stopped talking about CrossFit. And I just thought that that was (laughs) such a funny choice. But I, I think, actually, my favorite thing is probably Kate Hamill's Sense and Sensibility. She's a playwright who's done Sense and Sensibility. She's done Pride and Prejudice. I think she's doing Emma right now. Um, and that Sense and Sensibility was just the most fun. It was just like, it had all the energy and humor and and modern, like modern energy that Bridgerton has. Mm. And I, but she was doing it like eight years ago. And I think it... it I just have such fond memories of that production. It was like everything was on wheels and they would just like roll into a scene and then roll out of it. And it was so creative. And um, I think, yeah, I think her sense of sensibility is like my favorite thing ever. It seemed like it just was one of those productions where you felt like everyone in it was having so much fun. And so it, it, the audience, therefore, was like, Jane Austen's so much fun. Yeah, I feel like that was one of the first ones. Also, we talked about it on the pod. You mentioned it, Becca, and you were like, I wish I had seen this production. Um, so it will always live in our hearts as one that we really wish. The we one that seen. got away. Yeah. <laughs> well, they should bring it back. I feel like we should start a campaign. Bring it back. I want. Yeah. I feel like it needs to just happen again. It was so I'll good. I'll start tweeting at them. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All this to say, Kate Hamill, if you want to come on this podcast earnestly, please Listen, I've, I've messaged her already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to veer off the like content portion, what Austin character do you relate to the most? <laughs> um, oh my god. I'm <laughs> There's so many that I want to say. Um, in my group of friends, we have we like we always play this game with with 
random things. And the rule is always it's not who you want to be. It's who like other people would say you are. Mm-hmm. And because like I want to be Lizzie. I want to be I, I want to be Eleanor. Like I want to be everyone. Um, uh, I'm Mrs. Bennett. Like yes. let's be real. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> she just I I think also as I get older, I understand her panic. I, I get it. Like she is just she has a mission and she will not rest until it's done. I love her so much and I love every version of her and yeah, like I have shades of other ones, but I think externally I present as a Mrs. Bennett. I love that. And I want to know your resting heart right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, through the roof, just screaming and running. I can't sit down. It's like, oh my God. (laughs) I relate to that. I really do. It's the picture of her in the 1995 when she's looking for her smelling salts and just wailing. That's me most days. Although, but I want to be Daddy Bennett. Oh, yeah. That's like. You know, I aspire to that level of chill, but we all know I'll never get there. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like that's sort of like what the journey of a writer is. I think in many, many creative forms where it's like, I want to present as a chill person who's like over it and like just makes these really great stories and is very calm. But at the end of the day, I'm like, do you, do you want to produce my script? Like, do you want to marry my daughter? Like, do you, yeah. please, please, please. I've, it's very important that you do. Right. <laughs> So I'll I'll try a little more Daddy Bennett. (laughs) I love that. Uh, So our last standby Austin question is, do you have any really notable Austin hot takes? I I don't know if it's a hot take. I think there's, well, in in researching Pride and Prejudice, there was so much that I just found so fascinating because I went deep and I, I, I felt like I didn't have permission to adapt it. So I felt this need to like research the hell out of it. Um, One thing that I found that I, I think is, I personally think is really cool is there's a lot of discussion about its similarities to Shakespeare's much to do about nothing Mm. and how similar Beatrice and Benedict are to Lizzie and Darcy. And then you sort of have like hero and is it Claudio or Claudius? Um, Claudio. Claudio are very similar to a, a, a Jane and a Bingley and I, I, it's not to take away from Austin at all because it's, she made it very much her own, but I keep obsessing over um, Much Ado About Nothing is 400 years old and Pride and Prejudice is 200 years old. So I just keep thinking about how Much Ado was to Austin what Pride and Prejudice is to us today. And it and it, it was already this like old dusty thing to her. And I... Just that, that was such something, I don't know if that's a hot take, but that was something that I just couldn't stop obsessing over that like, she would have read Shakespeare, she was British, and she would have seen productions of Shakespeare. And I sort of feel like her Pride and Prejudice is a is a take on Shakespeare. I love that. I'm thinking about it now. What's the name of the, the villain in that? Oh, he's because totally he... Wickham. Yeah, yeah, he bears some similarities. Don, uh, Don Pedro or Don John? This is what happens with Shakespeare. I know the protagonist and then everyone else is a wash. <laughs> one of the brothers is Don John and one of the brothers is Don Pedro. And I don't remember which one's the evil one and which one's the good one. Yeah, because also isn't the evil one, he's kind of like not evil, he's just sad. Or, or am I mixing them up? The other one's no, just sad. No, no, Keanu Reeves is evil. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> incidentally, listeners, if you haven't seen the Kenneth Branagh Much Ado About Nothing, Emma Thompson does play Beatrice and... 
Zachary is completely right. Beatrice walked so Lizzie could run. Yes. Uh, so. Yes, you're so right. I've never thought about that. I am also one of those who has not uh, seen that uh, movie of uh, Emma Thompson. and. Oh, Dennis it's Brennan. so much fun. I actually, now that I'm talking about it, I really want to watch. I watched it early in when I was uh, adapt because I like, watched every single adaption adaptation that was ever made and I watched that for the first time I had never seen it and it is so it's it, it's Emma Thompson so it's like it's just incredible it is and it's so niche and nerdy but my personal favorite adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing is the Catherine Tate David Tennant one oh my <laughs> that was god. filmed on the West End I believe oh my, oh, god. It's, oh my god there's a live stream of it somewhere I had a friend who had who was nerdy enough in college to have a subscription to like the West End filmed like plays. And so we would watch a few of them. And I saw that one and it is so good. Um, but I don't know where to find it anymore. Oh no. I'm gonna tonight, that's my mission <laughs> to find that. <laughs> it's really fantastic. The only thing I'll give away about it is that David Tennant plays Benedict with his full Scottish accent. Oh, thank yes. God. This is what we need. <laughs> we need this right now. In 2022, we need that. <laughs> yes, it's the purest joy you could find. But speaking of pure joy, we should probably start talking about this amazing little podcast radio play that you have written, Gay Pride and Prejudice. Yes, we should talk about that. And before we do, we're going to just play you the trailer because it's amazing. In this modern adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, it's 2015 and same-sex marriage is finally legal. Gay and lesbian no union is more profound than marriage. All Americans are treated as equal. We are all more free. And what was supposed to be a reunion for Bennett and his closest friends gets turned upside down when the hottest pop star alive, Carlos Bingley, arrives in Bennett's small town. Turn your f***ing car around right now, bitch. Carlos Bingley's at the Puritan. Wait, like the pop star Carlos Bingley? That chico wants a wife, so give me chicas, give me, give me chicas, mas, mas, mas. Come on! Hey! This Carlos Bingley guy is single and rich and sweetie. No one is knocking on your door. We are going to the club. Introducing Gay Pride and Prejudice, a new comedy from Gimlet, premiering on May 25th, with performances by Blake Lee, Rosie O'Donnell, Malik Pancholi, Ronald Pete, and me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Oh my God, I can't wait for the divorces to start. Gay divorce. Can you imagine anything more dramatic? New episodes every Wednesday. Follow and listen for free, only on Spotify. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. 
The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now back to this episode. So, Zachary, without giving too much away, Becca and I have both listened to the first episode, but for our listeners, can you just give us a quick rundown? What is the concept of Gay Pride and Prejudice? Gay Pride and Prejudice is an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. It's set in 2015, the day marriage equality passes in America, and it follows a group of college friends over the course of a year as they begin coupling off and finding long-term relationships and I don't want to give too much away, but I'll just say that Lizzie Bennett is Bennett in this version. And Bennett is um, sort of the glue of the family. And he finds himself facing that age when your chosen family starts to evolve. And what does that mean? Um, and it has all of the characters that you love from the book. And I'm very, very, very excited for everyone to hear it. It's It's been a very long gestation and I cannot wait to share it. It's so good. Oh, we are so happy to be a part of sharing it uh, with the world with you. So uh, anyway, to continue on the interview and not get too nerdy too quickly, <laughs> uh, although we already went down a Shakespeare rabbit hole. Yes, true. Well, I feel like we're going to go deep on this one. Let's just get into it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, what inspired you to create this piece in the first place? Um, I always joked about doing it. I, I just like in again, in college, I fell in love with Pride and Prejudice and I was in my early 20s at the time and I always I just it was like a running joke I mean I, w I went to school for theater and so it was very like normal to say like oh I'm gonna make a play of Pride and Prejudice but everyone will be gay and like not entirely mean it but like kind of mean it deep in my soul and <laughs> I remember the day marriage equality passed I had the thought that on that day I had the thought of like oh we can do it now because there's the backdrop of marriage and it's actually, it could be a real thing. And that began the like, do I dare? Like, what, what, what am I biting off here? And um, it was originally written as a play. I, I started in 2016 and I fully wrote it as a, as a play. I, I did a small workshop of it and it was sort of one of the first major things that I wrote. And it kind of just like bounced around for four years and about two, a little over two years ago, we got serious about it as a podcast. I I've, I've done a lot of work in audio in theater. I, I mentioned I did these crazy shows where everyone wore headphones. So it felt like I had these two skills of writing and 
audio design in a cool way. And so it's kind of just lived with me for a long time, started as a joke. I got kind of serious about it. And then I thought, oh, I could do something really cool with it. And and now here we are today launching it as a, a 10 episode audio series. And it's so much cooler than what I was joking about it being when I first joked about it. So so one of our questions later on that we're going to just uh, pop up here because you brought it up is um, that you are writing this as a podcast, as sort of an audio play of sorts. Um, and I, as your background is very much in theater with um, film as well, I wondered how you found it different writing this story in podcast form as opposed to in a theatrical form. Yes, it's, it's so different, but so similar. Um, what, what's great is it's it's dialogue based, and I, it, coming from theater, I, I I love writing dialogue. I think I have a knack for it, and it just that was really it it, it got me into shape too with writing dialogue because in audio, like it really is all you have, and you have to trim the fat and you have to explain things, but you also very quick exposition really feels like exposition and audio. Um, but you have to be clear. So it's this, it was this push and this pull. Um, I, I worked really hard to make this. I had a rule in the script where it was, if you couldn't hear it, like I can't describe it on the page. So I, I, I really worked hard to, to make every stage direction just be sonic and, not get away with like describing anything. And it really forced the story to present itself in audio. There were really no phones in the play and the whole show kind of lives in people's voicemails and text messages and apps. And that grew out of it becoming audio. It was really challenging. It sounds fun. And then when you get into it and you face it, it is like, it's really hard to tell where people are in, in, in an audio scene. and. I had an amazing team of producers work on this. Jesse Tyler Ferguson, Justin Makita, Katie Pastor, Julie Bilevsky, um, and then Mimi O'Donnell, who runs Gimlet Media, which was our home. She has directed so many of these audio shows. She just is like the the wise keeper of what works and what doesn't. And she would always say like in early drafts of the script, be like, that won't work. And I'd be like, okay. And then she would totally be right and, <laughs> and I'd have to change it. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's dialogue based, but it is, you have to think in such a different way and it's such a challenge and so exciting. And um, it just forces you to be creative in a way that film or theater doesn't. That's amazing that I've, I've tried to dabble myself in writing for audio and I uh, uh, gave up. <laughs> oh, don't give up. No, it's so hard. It's so hard, but it's it's such an exciting moment because I feel like it's getting real traction and people are really listening to them and engaging with them. And what I love about this podcast is you have so many guests on who create audio fiction and I, I've been hungry for the community for it. And I just think there's so much to discuss about what, what we find works and what doesn't and why it's so hard. And um, I, keep going. Keep write another one. I, I want to hear it. Go again. All right, I'll try. <laughs> well, I can tell you from the perspective of uh, listening to the first episode, I was both completely not shocked and a little surprised that this was a play first because it really does lend itself so well to the audio form. It really does. 
yeah, it just seems so seamless as as that sort of specific sensory experience. But uh, I digress. Yes, though I will say your your designers, your audio engineers, and whoever was working on it did such a good job. I really was transported to all the different locations. I knew exactly where we were. That's so good to hear. First of all, I will say, like, I threw out the play. Like, I had to. You just had to start over. And that it felt good. Like, I never reread the play. I just had it in my head and started from scratch. I love that. But on the, the sound design is... It is remarkable. Daniel Brunel and Shane Hendrickson led the design. And I just would get early drafts of things and they'd be like, oh, it's, you know, we got all, we have a lot to to really work on. And I'd be like, guys, this is unbelievable. And I think where they've landed with these episodes is, you're so right. They have such a knack for like one little sound effect or one little thing. And you know exactly where we are and we don't need to say it in the dialogue. And it's 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 remarkable. It's magic. It really is. We we love audio engineers on this podcast. Shouts to ours, Graham. Yeah, we, we love Graham. <laughs> hey, Graham. <laughs> Throw a sound effect in here right here. Sound the nerd alert. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, ta- let's talk about queering Austin. That is, uh, I'm a big fan. Always looking yes. to just talk about how gay these books are. So mm-hmm. I'm so thrilled that this podcast is happening. Why do you think that Jane Austen and particularly Pride and Prejudice lends itself to a queer love story? And what was the process of doing that like for you? I I mean, I think it's because like they just immediately are going to balls Mm -hmm. in in, like they just instantly start going to balls in the book. It's like what the whole opening of the story is with Bingley coming to town And I think that was my window in where I was like, oh, they're just going to clubs and like dating each other. Like, that's what their life is. And (laughs) I always that's why it started as a joke. And but then, yeah, you dig deeper into it and you're like, there's so much longing. There's so much forbidden. Um, I I think also the 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 different classes are really interesting to play with, because for me, especially living in New York City, gay culture is so it just runs the gamut of wealth and you sort of feel like you don't belong at certain places. And, you know, like gay clubs now are starting to have covers and I'm like, come on, like we didn't have covers in New York City. That was such a, th- and now, um, but yeah, it, I, I just, there's so many Darcy's that I've encountered in my life in, in the gay world. And I also, at the time, yeah, I was in my early twenties and you just felt like you would show up at the club with your group of friends and you felt like the Bennett sisters showing up and, being like, who's going to go home with someone? <laughs> when I was listening to your podcast, I was really struck by the fact that the Bennett sisters are a chosen family. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I think it, it was like, it couldn't be anything else. I think um, I, I talked a lot about the nerdy term that I always use was, is it, I, I always felt like I was extracting the DNA from her book and then like building my own dinosaur with 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 myself, the rest of the parts. And so I always would try to be like, what was this moment to the reader back then? And that's a great example of like, to the reader, it was about this family unit. It was about these sisters and they were, they were together because they were family and their actions had consequences within the family unit. And you like extract that DNA and you go like, well, what is that in the gay world? And it's your group of friends that you've had forever and that you like know each other so well. And that 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 extends to many 
types of life, but in queer communities, your chosen family is so important. And it's why people, hopefully they don't have to anymore, but like, it's why people move to cities. It's because you know you'll find your community. And that felt like it brought a new energy to the story and a new set of rules. And it also helped with something that I don't really know is in the book that much, which is this feeling of like, the book's so much about them getting married, but then like we don't ever think about like they're not going to see each other that much anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, that's why I love Death Comes to Pemberley because you get to meet up with them later on and you like see what's become of it all but um there is that energy that felt like that felt ripe for drama and comedy for this story of of this group of friends you know everything about each other's business it's codependent it's unhealthy you 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 like someone starts dating somebody and the whole group is like i don't think so and <laughs> then when it starts getting serious you know you're hitting late 20s early 30s and it, it's a moment that everyone goes through. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And I will say this. I think you're totally right about the implications of dating in the Jane Austen world. And that whole that that is one of the, the through lines that doesn't always make it into modern adaptations where when you marry and you hit that uh, that economic jackpot and that romance jackpot in these books, you get, unfortunately, the downside of sort of leaving your family forever and becoming part of a different family and a different estate. Mm -hmm. And I think the story that does do that a little bit more is Sense and Sensibility, where the the sisterhood is so uh, valued as part of the story, yeah. which kind of leads me to the next question, which is related. But um, there was a real sense in which we are part of the process of trying to bring a place for uh, like progressive and queer people to have fandom that's related to the Regency era. Mm. And I think there, we're not alone in that. There are other podcasts that do that. There are certainly communities online that are pushing for this as well. Um, and I guess my question is, there are certain areas of history um, where there are these massive cultural explosions. Mm. And one of those areas that has remained sort of timeless in a lot of ways is the area of the Regency yeah. and Jane Austen. And you see that in how timeless her work is, the timeless work of the Brontes who follow her a few years later, but are still close to being her contemporaries. And then you also have, you know, shows like Bridgerton that show mm -hmm. that you know, this stuff is still really popular. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's room to sort of take a look at those themes and look at how they sort of, how they're gay, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, when you were describing that, like the first thing that I went to is, it just like reminds me of musical theater and like the, 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 the fabulousness of all these stories. Like I just think of like Les Mis and how that it's a totally different era, a totally different country, but it, it shares like a period piece drama and, and fabulousness. Well, sorry, Les Mis isn't fabulous. They're all poor, <laughs> but like, I'm thinking of like, as the kid that picked up the sense and sense, sense and sensibility book, there's something fabulous about these eras and it just feels like pure, pure escapism. And it's such, it's such a great place to set a romance. And um, yeah, Bridgerton is so successful because we just love it. And I think like where, where, where queer people 
love these sort of like heroines in musical theater. Like I'm thinking of like Daw in Sunday in the Park with George or Hello Dolly or um, anything Judy Garland. Anything, yeah. Like there's there's they share some sort of um, energy, and I think just like you look at these, you get to watch people in these crazy outfits just sip tea and like talk, they're talking shade about each other nonstop. And it's so dramatic and it's so, it's the real housewives too. Like when you think about it, it's, I know that's not really queer culture, but gays love the real housewives. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I think it just, I would just say it's so, it's so fabulous. It's so fun. And I mean, I also love too, like, with stories like Bridgerton where they're like they're sneaking in queer love very subtly and it doesn't feel like whispering and problematic and like drama induced there's just that like lovely moment in the last season where Penelope and Eloise hold hands while they're laying down and it's not really commented on and it can just like exist and I don't know if they're gonna develop that further or or what but I was like yes this is what we should be doing we shouldn't have these like you know problematic like characters who are are like are clearly gay and it's it's taboo it should just we should find a way to let it exist in the world of the Regency era or similar eras and that was something that I was so drawn to with gay pride and prejudice was I, I I've always said like we don't have queer classics because we couldn't because it wouldn't have been out and loud romance. And so part of doing this was reimagining it in a modern sense. So that story can be queer. But I think the challenge now is to, is to tell a Regency era story and not have it be filled with someone dying and drama and, and like some, someone please who's listening or, or somewhere, or, or if it exists, please point me to it. Um, It's such an amazing time period and era and it's so gay and I think that we need it we, we really really need it <laughs> we really do because especially during the pandemic so many people have turned to Regency hmm. romance to escape and I there has been a hole because I want to read lesbian Regency romance and yes. I think there definitely are like fan fictions out there but what I think is like looked over often is that like I mean, gay people didn't just appear, you know, like it was happening. And I want I want the stories about it. And I will say that we um, we had guests on our podcast who wrote a book called Why She Wrote. um, And it is about all of these different women throughout history who wrote who were writers. And one of them, two of them, one was Anne Lister, who Mm. is like my new idol. And I think there's a TV show about her. Gentleman Jack, right? Yes. Gentleman Jack. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then George Eliot, uh, who was not gay, but who dressed like a man and wrote as a man. Banged a lot of ladies. Um, two, two queer icons. Uh, in Didn't the... she bang a lot of ladies or was that a different one? Uh, oh, maybe she did. Maybe she did. And so did Ann Lister. Uh, they were both heroes. But yes, I think that we need... What we need now is... I didn't. I haven't seen this most recent season of Bridgerton, but in season one, I was shipping those two really, really hard. So I'm glad to hear that they held hands. Well, well, I, without giving any spoilers away, I we have announced that um, season three is Penelope. And I just really hope 
that it's secretly going to be a lesbian story. I hope so, too, because she's so she's such a queer icon, that actor. Oh, my God. Uh, have we seen Dairy Girls? I haven't, but Becca has. <laughs> I love Dairy Girls. Oh, my God, yes. We can fully tangent on Dairy Girls if you want. This can just be a Dairy Girls. Oh, my gosh. I, I am... <laughs> actually rapidly waiting for the season, third season to come out on Netflix. Yes, 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 yes. I it's going to be it's going to be a big day. <laughs> this is fantastic because first of all, I've been trying to get Molly to watch Dairy Girls. I aggressively recommend heartfelt sitcoms to Molly it's all true, the time. She does. And I always love them. So. Oh my god. I think Dairy Girls was also a play too originally. I think it I think it was written as a play and then they Yeah, it was. Yeah, and then they turned it into a TV show. They also uh Nicola Cog- Coughlin, am I saying it correctly? I don't I, know. I think it's Coughlin, but Coughlin, I also okay. don't. Uh, she's Irish, right? So I, I yeah. Oh Lord, Sir Sharon. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Nicola has a podcast, a scripted podcast. Um, oh God, I'm gonna forget the name, but it's it's very Irish and very funny. Some I think, it, and it's they put it out during the pandemic, and it was so 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 great and so funny. I'm so sorry that I can't remember the name. Put it in the show notes or something. Yeah, we'll definitely um, link it. But anyway, um, yes, the the Regency era is is very queer, and I I would just love to see like a protagonist set in that time period, um, and and have them going to the balls and everything, and what and and what would that be? What well, what would it be? You know, there were spinsters who were like perfectly content being with another woman. What I found interesting, like I always thought in reading Pride and Prejudice, I would have put Charlotte as gay and I really like without giving anything away about the plot I, I've only listened to the first episode of yours but Charlotte's their like token straight friend which I was like I was yes. like yes 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 <laughs> that's queering my narrative that's flipping <laughs> it on <laughs> oh my god I'm so happy you, you picked up on that because that was very intentional and I love Charlotte and I, I mean like something I always want is I want Pride and Prejudice through Charlotte's eyes I want that story where it's she's the protagonist she's Probably her and Mary are my two favorite characters for oh, different yeah. reasons. Um, but Charlotte, like I did so much work on Charlotte because I was so worried about getting Charlotte right. And I knew early on that I wanted her to stay a, a, a woman. Um, and I played with her being gay. But I just there's actually a really great New Yorker article called On, on Charlotte Lucas's Choice. It came out um in 2013 on the 200 year anniversary of the book. And I found it and it's fascinating. And it just goes into Charlotte's decision and like the argument of, did she have the, he, the writer goes against the argument that she had no other choice and presents Charlotte as the most pragmatic person in the story who is actually like thinking 10 steps ahead of everyone else around her. Um, anyway, I, I just became obsessed with Charlotte and there's a line early in the book, I think Mrs. Bennett says it, that Charlotte was the first one to dance with Bingley at the ball. And I was like, I know that girl. Like that girl, I'm friends with that girl and she comes to the gay bar and she finds the one straight guy at the gay bar and she goes home with him. And I'm like, what just happened? And, <laughs> yeah. and I just also wanted to flip the trope of the gay best friend from 90s rom-coms because we always have the gay best friend and I thought how fun to have the straight girl best friend and let her be basic and messy and I won't give anything away but Charlotte goes on a journey in this podcast thank goodness and I hope my love for her comes through um but 
she's played by Vela Lavelle, who is absolutely genius and has done sitcoms. She's done animation. She comes from theater and she just brought Charlotte to life with so much energy in this. You can hear it in the, in the first episode. Um, she's so, so funny and, but also so grounded and, she really brings Charlotte from being this like really fun drunk girl in the first episode to um, she's sort of like the first friend that talks sense into Bennett later on. And I was obsessed with Charlotte when we cast Vela. I was so excited and Vela really elevated the character to an amazing height. As a full disclaimer, I am a crazy ex-girlfriend stan. Uh, so Vela was very exciting for me to listen to uh, in this. Yes, yes, yes. She's so versatile. She's she's it's like if you watch Crazy Ex-Girlfriend and then you watch Mr. Mayor, the show she's on now, you're like, this is not the same actress. She's so she's so talented. And um I am a stan as well. She's remarkable. <laughs> yes. Can I ask a follow-up question before we um, move on? This one's not listed on the, the questions that we gave you, but how did you choose or, or decide which characters you were going to gender swap? Like, mm. how how did you make all of those decisions? Oh, my God. Yeah, it feels, it was such a long process. It wasn't, it was like, uh, I I knew I wanted most of them to be gay men because that's me and that's the story I wanted to tell. It then there were there became choices about like going back to that the DNA metaphor that hopefully sounds interesting because it's interesting to me. <laughs> um, it, it became about like, well, what is the function of this character in the story? And Mary's always been really fascinating to me. And Mary feels like an other. And I just was like, well, she's the lesbian who hangs out with all the gay guys. Like she goes to all the gay events and they're always like, what are you, what are like, are you enjoying yourself? But like, I think Mary is enjoying herself. And um, I knew for like, obviously because James or Jane became James um, and Bennett were men and they were gay. We needed the, the Bingley and the Darcy to be men. Um, it became fun. Like I, keeping Charlotte, Charlotte became really exciting because she added a new flavor. I decided to kill off Mr. Bennett and just have Mrs. B, who's now Mrs. Um, Mrs. Bennett is now Mrs. B. And Mrs. B changed so much. She started as an older gay man. I then, I, she was something else. And then I was like, we need more lesbian presence in this. We need more female queer presence. And I also just was like, we need that. We need the lesbian of a certain age who is just uh, an uh, like it, it found it felt fun being a gay man when it was a play, being this like older, fabulous gay man who was running around screaming. But then in the podcast, I was like, no, I need I need a woman to anchor this. And she became Mrs. B. And she's such a fun character in this. So it, it was it was all over the place. It sort of just a lot of it became a lot of it changed over time. But. I love I love the the female characters that we have in this. And Caroline Bingley just had to stay. I, I, she was so much more impactful as the younger sister to the pop star celebrity, Carlos Bingley. She's Carolina in this. And she just felt so much more threatening as a hot girl to Bennett. And um, I, I didn't want there to be any attraction between them. I just wanted her to truly be an antagonist. And um, that felt delicious having her 
just be like this rich influencer who's so mean to Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say this. I'm a... I'm a huge fan of female villains. Mm. Uh, so yes. I was very pleased to see Miss Carolina Bingley uh, remain. Oh, yeah. And I think if you've only heard the first episode, um, she gets all obviously a lot to do in episode two. And we really get to learn about her brand and her Instagram and her all of her businesses that she has and how self-important she is. And um, she is wonderfully terrible. <laughs> Amazing. Incredible stuff. Okay, so on the note, uh, we talked a little bit about working uh, with uh, Vela Lavelle. You're working with some like tour de force actors in this production. And uh, based on your prior work, it looks like you've collaborated with uh, Jesse Tyler Ferguson before Mm -hmm. as well. Um, And I'm just wondering uh, how you went about casting this and what the process of working with these actors was like. Oh my God, it was nothing short of a dream. Jesse and his husband, Justin, are people I've known for, I mean, oh my God, maybe I think a decade now. It's been been a a long time now. Um, And they've been such champions of my work. They've been such cheerleaders. They come to everything I do. And um, when I started writing on a much bigger level, they were like, they were always the first ones to be like, we want to read it. We want to read it. They read this play four years ago and were like, it's great. Keep going. And and then when it was becoming a podcast, it actually funny thing about that is I in like a moment of panic just was like, I'm going to make this into a podcast and I'm going to do it all on my own. And I'm going to figure it out. And they caught wind and they were like, wait, 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 what, what, <laughs> like, can, can we be involved? And I was like, oh, you want to be involved? And they were like, yes. And then, and then I calmed down and we brought it through the proper channels and it became this incredible thing it's become. Um, and they've been so instrumental in the birth of this, of this show and this story. And, um, they've just been such they've been so excited and they've been so exciting to work with and Jesse's like Vela I mean what what Jesse and Vela have in common is they both come from theater they've done sitcoms and they just get audio so they were just it, it was so so incredible to work with them um because they play such characters that come in and you need them to be bold and um we don't spend a whole lot of time with them and I just was so blown away by they just come in and you're like, yeah, you 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 bring it in your first take. It's incredible. And then the casting process was um, quick and and exciting because what's great about podcasting is you you really can get amazing people to do it because it's not a lot of um, time and we we can we can get through a whole character in a day of work. We recorded this remotely with people and I would typically read opposite them to keep the pace and we would capture them individually. But with with Bennett, who is played brilliantly by Blake Lee, who's also been a friend who I've been a fan of his work for a long time and to finally work with him in such an intimate level. He recorded obviously the most because he's in every single moment of the show. But we had some specific characters that we wanted him to record opposite um, so they could you know, actually know what they were doing. And we had Ronald Pete, who plays Darcy, who has the voice of a generation. He is unbelievable. And his Darcy, I think, is going to change the game. I just want to say that. It's really, his Darcy is a Darcy for the ages. And 
opposite Blake, the sound of Blake versus Darcy in terms of casting was like a match made in heaven because they sound so different when they ha- whenever they spar it's so enjoyable because they're just vocally without even having to do anything it's so dynamic and so casting was was a lot of that it was a lot of like we have this actor who do we put opposite them and knowing that all we're going to have are their voices it became this game of like let's get this one first and then we'll go to the to the love interest and like Blake was the first one we cast because we knew we needed to know who who our Bennett was because everyone is opposite him. I also did something that I haven't explained where I had this rule where Bennett is what I call our vocal anchor for clarity. We never leave Bennett. We we are always with him so that that way when a new character comes in, we don't we're not wondering what's going on. We're just like, oh, this is a new person Bennett's talking to. So once we had Blake, we just went opposite him. And the one I was most worried about was James because James and Bennett spend a lot of time together and they're two men and they are similar energies. And we got Malik Pancholi, who you might recognize from 30 Rock. He was Jonathan on 30 Rock. He's he's also a great theater actor. And he and Blake sound so different and they're different energies. And we recorded them together. So they really got into a great rhythm. And then, yeah, I, I feel like I'm going off on a tangent here, but um, like we got Rosie O'Donnell to play Mrs. B. And that was a, absolutely a dream come true. She was like a one take wonder. She just came in and it was like, OK, yeah, that's 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 it. Thank you. That's why you're a star. <laughs> <laughs> we have Javier Munoz as Carlos Bingley. He was Hamilton. Um an absolute dream of a person. He also has, you hear a bit of it in the trailer, but we get a full song from Carlos in episode two. So oh, thank goodness. Buckle up. We have like a 90s pop song from Carlos Bingley. Um, <laughs> I, song We're calling it the song of the summer, so get ready. Um, wow. And Jesse plays um, Colin, who is a reimagining of Colin's, and he's so funny. and. Absolutely brilliant. And I I always thought that Colin and Mrs. Bennett, Mrs. B in mind, I always talked about them being the Shakespearean fools of the piece. And to get Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Rosie O'Donnell as the two like iconic fools, it just feels like they take care of the energy and the pacing of the show and then let the love and the romance sort of take its time when it needs to. Because in three minutes, Rosie O'Donnell is going to come barreling in and uh, we have uh, Marisol Sacramento is playing um, Carolina Bingley. She's someone I know from college and she's brilliantly funny. And we have Sherry Cola is a comedian. She's playing Mary and she's one of the funniest improv people I've ever worked with. She like wrote half of Mary's lines on the fly. Oh um, she just riffed around and I was like, you are a genius. Luke is a hybrid of Kitty and Lydia, which we can talk all about making them a hybrid. I mourned that for about three seconds and realized it's what I had to do. But uh, <laughs> I mean, we call them Kittya on this show. Kittya. So. Oh my God, Kittya. I love yeah. that. Well, Luke is named Luke because I took a letter from each. I took a L and a K and I was like, it's close as we're going to get. And we, again, for clarity, we were like, Luke is tough because Luke, the same in the book, like we don't spend time with Lydia And then Lydia becomes so important in the second half. And we had all these discussions of like, how are we going to remember this character? And then it was like, oh, he's he's Australian. And we went 
and we were like, we need to find an Australian actor. And we found Reese Nicholson and he is an Australian comedian and he's so brilliant. And, um, his, I just like get ready for when fans of the book know what happens to Lydia, get ready for when Luke has some news for the family. It is my, it's one of my favorite scenes in the whole show. It's in episode seven. So buckle up. Um, and then Matthew Rish plays um, our Wickham. He is, his voice is that of a Wickham when you hear mm. it. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I got everybody. Oh my God, I hope I didn't forget a character. Um, but it's a, it is a rock star cast. It is mind blowing. I mean, to work with them was a dream come true. It's, they're unbelievable. Yeah, listening to it, I, w- I was just blown away. Uh, I love that to get someone to be memorable, you made them Australian. I agree. Yes. That's correct. <laughs> um, Rosie O'Donnell's amazing. Just it, It's just so good to listen to. And listeners, if that doesn't get you excited hearing all of these these amazing cast members, I, I don't know what will because it's it's going to be great. I mean, it is great. It's out today. Yes. On the day that this drops. So, and listeners, we cannot, I mean, we cannot fake this much enthusiasm. We both had the best time listening to the first episode and we're definitely going to both listen to the entire thing. And we strongly suggest you guys get your ears over to Spotify and take a listen to the first episode of Gay Pride and Prejudice uh, by Zachary Grady. Uh, Zachary, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Do you want to tell the people where they can find you? Yes. I also want to say today when this is airing today on um, Wednesday, we are launching two episodes. So you'll get one and two. Oh, great. And then every week we're doing two episodes. So we're not going to make you wait too long. You'll get two episodes a week for five weeks. So um, the story will keep going. Um, But yeah, you can find me. I'm really only on Instagram. Um, uh, My, it's Zachary Grady. Uh, My name is Thackeray Banks on Instagram. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yes, Thackeray Banks. Just, um, as much as I love um, Pride and Prejudice, I also love Hocus Pocus. Come on, Hocus Pocus. Um, yeah, that's mostly where I hang out. It's mostly pictures of my dog. Um, and then the occasional me pops in. But um, that's mostly where I am. Yeah. I also just got a dog. So my Instagram feed is exclusively my dog from now until yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 what happens. It's totally fine. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Before we go, I want to say that I did text Becca what my favorite line was from episode one. Oh, my God. And I'm going to tell you because I think it's fun. Um, It's Bennett. And he just says, oh, my God, Charlotte, did you just poop? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Don't give the listeners context. Don't give them yeah. context. No context. That's no just, context. I lost it. I, As they say, lost my shit. Oh, that's so great. I... Oh my god, I love that. Yeah, and Blake's delivery of that is genius. He's so, so funny. Good. Oh my god. <laughs> yes, I listeners get ready. <laughs> yeah. Truly get ready. Again, we are so excited about this and when you reached out about uh this podcast, I was so excited. I was like, "Oh my god, Gay Pride and Prejudice, we need it." I listened to it and I was like, "Sometimes you get an audio fiction and it's just like you're immediately transported. And especially oh. when you're doing something new with a classic, mm. which like there are so many adaptations of Pride and Prejudice out there, but like you are truly doing something new with it. And I just want to give you all of your roses oh. because it's so good and fresh and important. And I did shed a tear just oh. because I was excited to be bringing this classic story into a modern lens and one that matters. So thank you for making this podcast. So kind of you to say, and I really, I really appreciate that. And 
yes, I, and I, I'm just so happy to be a part of the the Austin world now. It feels like a multiverse and I get to be a little section of it. <laughs> yes. And you're quite the tremendous section of it. Oh, so. <laughs> well, as are you, you exist in the Jane Austen multiverse too. And it's really great that we synced up. This is so fun. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm, oh, I'm having the best time. <laughs> yes. Have, have me back. I would love to on a future book. I would love to dissect some movie or some, I know you're probably finishing up Sense and Sensibility, but whatever you do next, I'm super excited about the persuasion that's coming out on Netflix. So I don't know what book you're going to do next, but I'm here to discuss any adaptation in the future. Amazing. We'll definitely have you back. Absolutely. That is you. You've said it on air. So this is officially a promise to come back. Great. Thank you. I'm happy to confirm. (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode of Pod and Prejudice. Uh, We will return to our 2008 Sense and Sensibility next week. But until then, stay proper. And listen to Gay Pride and Prejudice. Yes. <laughs> Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.